Let's bow for a word of prayer before we get going this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we are reminded every uh, time uh, as we approach Palm Sunday that the celebration was very short-lived as you were preparing your heart uh, for the agony of the cross. So Lord, I just pray that you'll help us this morning as we focus on your word, that we come with a heart of gratitude and a hungry heart that is searching you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ, Lord, I just pray that uh, they will experience you in a powerful way. Thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but even watching the kids with palms, uh, that should bring back hopefully a lot of good memories for you. I remember as a kid, I think my mom was always nervous when I had something in my hand like a palm leaf, but I still remember the memories of uh, being a child and then watching my own kids carry the palms and just watching the kids this morning. And it's just an amazing time. And it is a reminder that it was very short-lived, if you think about it, when Jesus came into town and they were crying out, Hosanna, and for just a glimpse, for just a moment, the world realized that he truly was the Son of God, that he truly was the King. And it's almost as if the world, for just a moment, got it. But humans are interesting, aren't they? In less than five days, some of those same people who were yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, were yelling, crucify him. Within a week, that happened. And I think in my own life, spiritually, many times, how uh, I can be so excited for Christ, and honestly, in less than a week, can really let God down, and my passion just seems to just wane. I don't know if you've ever been through that, but it's frustrating. So we're going to get into that this morning a little bit. We're going to talk, talk about something that I think is very powerful, and that is, can God still transform us from the inside out. Now, I want you to think about that. Can God transform us from the inside out? It's a very difficult concept, the whole idea of transformation. Uh, Jillian Michaels, you may know her from The Biggest Loser, said this, that transformation is not five minutes from now. It's a present activity. In this moment, you can make a different choice. It's these small choices and successes that build up over time and help you cultivate a healthy self-image. And then another trainer by the name of Ben Timmis said this, transformation, all it takes is desire to change, the determination to start, and the dedication to continue. Now, transformation. What do you think of when you say somebody's life has been transformed? Uh, if you're like me, I think about people like my neighbor, Rodney, and I, Rodney was going to try to make it here today. I don't know if he's here today or not. Uh, the other day, <clears throat> you know how it is in the winter where you don't see your neighbor for <clears throat> several, you know, months? It seems like that. I mean, garage doors go up, <clears throat> in and out, in and out. And so Rodney was out in the driveway uh, a couple weeks ago, and I walked over, and I'm like, how much weight have you lost? And he said, uh, I've lost close to 80 pounds. He looks like a different person. And you've all had those experiences where maybe some of you have lost a lot of weight or you've been around somebody who's lost a lot of weight. And you know what it's like when you even lose a few pounds? What is really good if somebody says what? <clears throat> man, have you dropped a few pounds? Doesn't that, doesn't that feel good? Am I the only one that's that shallow? Okay, man, you just feel good about that. Yeah, so it's like, hey, transformation. It's easy physically to say that person has changed. How many of you have ever been shocked when you've gone back for your high school reunions? And then you realize they're probably just as shocked seeing me. Now, my 10-year reunion, it wasn't my appearance. I really hadn't changed that much. 
what was the shock was, oh, by the way, what are you doing? Well, I'm a minister, you know. No, no, seriously, what are you doing? I mean, because they remembered me from high school. Transformation from the inside out, this is a huge deal. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. We're going to talk about what it looks like. And we're going to share a transformational story of Simon of Cyrene. You have only seen his name come up in the Gospels. Usually it's only a verse or two, but his role is so significant. And his transformation is significant that we really do need to stand back and be in awe of what God has done. Here's what you need to know about Simon. First of all, Simon of Cyrene was spiritually curious. Now, what do I mean by he was spiritually curious? Well, we know in Matthew 27, 32, and we know in other scriptures, it simply tells us that he was willing to do whatever it took to get to a spiritual place so he could find himself, so that he could find God. And traveling from Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene was, he traveled from North Africa. Now think about that. He traveled an estimated 783 miles. Now, if you were to walk to New York City, that's 760 miles. So let me ask you something. What are you willing to walk over 700 miles for? What would you walk 700 miles for? And so we begin to see that he was craving to find God. He would do whatever it took to find God. And so for him, he went to the holy, holy city of Jerusalem. And who knows how many weeks he took agonizing that journey to get to Jerusalem. Now, here's my question. And scholars are wrestling with this. Is, did he have any idea what was going on in that region with Jesus Christ? Did he hear in any way that something was going on? And if you're ever going to make this journey to Jerusalem... You need to try to get there at this time in history because there's something going on. Now, we don't know. We don't know. But we know that when he got to Jerusalem, his life would never be the same. We all need to be spiritually curious. Now, here's something I think is, is incredible for me, is that I'm not only seeking God, but God is seeking me. And you know something? He's seeking you. Now think about that. God is seeking you out. And he does it in amazing ways. In Luke 19.10, it says the entire mission of Jesus was to seek and to save those that were lost. So here's just a couple ways that I believe that God is doing everything he can to find us. First is simply his creation. In Romans 1.20, it says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been seen clearly, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, every day God is showing off. God is trying to get our attention through his creation. Now, how does he do that? Well, I believe he does it in countless ways. Sometimes it's through the colors of a sunrise or a sunset. Sometimes it's the taste of a fresh strawberry in the month of May. Or maybe it's the smell of a baby right after that baby's had a bath. God shows up in countless ways. And he's saying, look, I'm here. Through my creation, I'm here. Albert Einstein said this, there's only two ways to live your life. One is if nothing is a miracle. The other is if everything 
is a miracle. Isn't that true? Every day if you wake up and you just look around and you just breathe in the life that God has given you, if you just look around, you begin to sense that God is alive. That's what he does with his creation. That's what he does with us. I hope this week somehow God absolutely blew you out of the water. I hope that there was something that you weren't in such a hurry and that you were so busy that you didn't miss it because every day God shows up. Uh, Last week we were down in Florida in the Destin area and our family, we have a tradition, it's really only my tradition, is I love sunrises, so it doesn't matter what time in the morning. So I set the alarm, and this is before the time change. So I got up at five, made my coffee. My daughter Danielle said, what human being? gets up at 5 o'clock and makes coffee to see a sunrise. I'm that human being because there is never a sunrise over the ocean that doesn't just nearly move me to tears of what God can do. And you don't have to be at an ocean. God shows up in so many ways, in unlimited ways, to get our attention. His creation. And then second of all is God's Word. In Hebrews 4.12, It tells us that God's Word is living and active. Now, here's what we know about the Word of God. It was written over a 1,600-year period of time by 40 authors. That the longest chapter is Psalms 119. And if you go to the middle of your Bible to Psalms 119, do you know what that entire chapter is talking about? The Word of God, the precepts of God, the decrees of God, the ordinance of God. Everything is about God and his word. It's been translated to over 2,000 languages, and the Gideons estimate that over 168,000 Bibles are sold or given away in the United States every day. It is the living word of God, but do you believe that? Is it that important in your life that you're, you're getting up every morning, every day, you're saying, I want to get into this, because this is the inspired, living Word of God. You want to find God, you get him right here through his word. So many people try to find shortcuts away from the living word, and there are no shortcuts. You know, if you want to know God's will, if you want to know God's way, then you got to get into God's living word. That will never change. That's why in John 1.14, it simply says, Jesus Christ is the word, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. The living word came to live with us. Does it still stir your soul? Here's what I love about God's word. It is universal and it is timeless. Now, what do I mean by that? It is universal and timeless. First of all, universal. You can take this living word right now, Sunday morning, and all across the world, they're sharing this living word. And it is still breaking hearts all across the world. It is universal. Just imagine next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, and just visually, I I always do this every year. I'm I'm standing there usually sunrise, and as the sun is coming up, I'm thinking all around the world as the sun is rising, people all around the world are surrendering, saying, this is it. This is the greatest story that's ever been told, that Jesus Christ died for me, and through the resurrection we have life. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we do what we do, because it is universal. And here's the deal. It is timeless. 
It changed lives 2,000 years ago, and it changes lives today. Last week, I would always get up. I shared that with you. And then I always try to find a, a coffee house. I love coffee houses. And I found my favorite coffee house down there. Uh, it's called Capriccio's. Say that with me. Capriccio's. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Okay. It's an Italian thing, but it sounds just so good. Okay. So I go in there every morning. I take my backpack. And this one particular morning, I come in and there's a, a young man there in his 20s. He's got his Bible open and he's sharing with another guy. And I walked over and I said, man, what are you guys digging into? And he said, oh, I'm in Genesis. And I said, man, you're in the deep end of the pool. And I said, well, tell me about what you're doing. He goes, well, I study with these guys or a lot of the military that are down in this area, and uh, they're not ever going to probably go to church, so I'm bringing church to them. This is my church, this coffee house, every day, just sharing God's Word. So I'm sitting down, and I'm working on my sermon, and I look to my left, and there's this entire group of guys, and I thought they were salesmen, and then I heard the guy talking about God, you know, in a good way, you know, and uh, as he was leaving, I said, hey, what are you up to? And he said, well, I'm leading a a Bible study for men. We meet here every Tuesday. And I thought, man, God's word is universal and God's word is timeless. It will never stop. The only thing that stops is us. We have an amazing opportunity to give our life over and over again through God's word. But here's why it's tough sometimes, because I believe the Bible does not answer all of our questions. If I were to take a microphone and walk around, how many of you have some questions that are not answered in the Bible? Am I the only one? Raise your hand if you have at least one question. Okay, somebody shout out something you wish the Bible would answer. Anything. Anyone. Don't leave me hanging. Are animals in heaven? I think they are. I think they are. But not, yeah, this guy said not his cat. Okay, so here we go. Yeah. But here's, here's just a few things I guarantee you a lot of us wish we knew. Don't you wish you knew the exact age of the earth, the exact date? A lot of people say, man, I would love that. Don't you wish you knew a little bit more about Satan and a little bit more about angels? But we don't have a lot of scripture there. Don't you wish we knew even a little bit more about hell? But we don't know a lot about that at all. And a lot of people say, I wish I knew exactly when Jesus was going to come back. I wish I knew the exact date because that would be the game changer. But would it really be the game changer if you knew exactly when Jesus was coming back? And here's the thing I really wish the Bible had. Don't you wish the Bible had pictures? Seriously, what did Moses look like? Was he 6'2"? Did he have a long beard? And ultimately, what did Jesus look like? I could just spend all day just looking at pictures of Jesus and how he just encountered other people. But the Bible doesn't give us all that. But what the Bible does give us is a clear, direct path to hope and eternity. There's something I read about the other day, and I thought this was interesting. It was an experiment done in the 1960s at Yale University. Uh, the professor of psychology, his name was Howard Leventhal, and he had one goal, and that is to motivate students to get their tetanus shots. So he thought he would create this experiment. So he put them in two groups. The first group, he gave them a very nice seven-page booklet with graphic pictures of and terrorizing results of uh, coming in contact with tetanus, okay? Guess how many students went and got a shot because of that seven-page booklet? 
3%. Okay? Then the next semester, he took a second group. He gave them a revised version of the same booklet, but he toned the language way down. And there were no terrorizing pictures. He only made one change. Want to guess what he did? He included the map of the campus, how to get to the health center, and what times they could get their shots. 28% of the students went and got their tetanus shot. I think sometimes we're just like that when we get into God's Word. We just look at it like a seven-page booklet. It wouldn't matter how many graphic stories we read. It doesn't matter for so many people. It's when we believe that this can actually change your lives. And then God says, you need an easy directive to your life. And here's the directive. You know what he's going to do? He's going to, through his word, lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, everything, the New Testament, is leading us to the cross of Christ, which is the most important part of this life. Simon of Cyrene, his life was transformed when he experienced the cross of Christ. Listen to Luke 23, 26. As the soldiers led him, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. Many scholars say that it wasn't the entire cross, that it was actually a beam of the cross, but that cross beam weighed between 75 and 100 pounds. But I don't think that's what transformed his life. I mean, you got to remember, this guy had just walked over 700 miles. If there was ever a guy that was lean and mean, it was this guy. That's not what transformed him. You know what I think transformed him? Can you imagine the moment that he looked into the eyes of Christ and he saw the blood and he saw the suffering? And all of a sudden, all those miles, it made sense. This is why I came here. This is the one that everybody is talking about beaten, nearly beaten to death. And where did he walk? Behind Jesus. He watched him stumble. He watched him fall. He, he listened to the people uh, jeering and screaming at Jesus, and they saw how he handled that. And I was thinking about this the other day. Can you imagine when the moment he basically gave the beam back to the soldiers, and they gave that beam back to Jesus, you know exactly what happened. He looked at his hands, and there was his blood. There is the blood of Jesus on his hands. I think on that day, at that moment, he was never the same. I think the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are never the same. And the problem is in my life is I forget that sometimes. I forget where I was and I forget what God did to get my attention. And I forget that the blood really many times is on my hands. And I forget what he has done for us. See, Christ has done everything for us. He should transform every life that is in this room because of the cross. Bono from U2 said this, With Christ, we have access in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. In the Old Testament, it was more of a worship and awe, a vertical relationship. But in the New Testament, on the other hand, we look across at Jesus, who looks familiar, horizontal, and that's the combination of the cross, vertical, horizontal. It's Jesus Christ alive in all of us. The cross still transforms lives.
You may remember the name years ago, Charles Colson. Uh, Colson was famous for being a part of uh, the Nixon team with the Watergate. <clears throat> and I realize if you weren't born before 1973, you don't even know who Richard Nixon is. Okay, so I, I get that. Um, but, uh, you know, he was impe not impeached, he resigned, and it was just a huge scandal. A lot of, actually, uh, uh, his cabinet, a lot of folks ended up spending some jail time. Colson was one of those. When Colson was in prison, he really did come to Jesus Christ. He realized that all the things that he had lived his life for were worthless compared to Jesus Christ. And he made the rest of his life a passion to reach out to those that were prisoners, that were broken, those living without hope. And what Colson did that was truly amazing is um, he went to a prison in Brazil. And this particular prison, uh, the government had actually given up on. And the, uh, a group of Christians got together and they said, could we take this prison over, but can we run it our way? And our way is we want to run this as if Jesus is in this prison with every prisoner. And they could care less. They said, we don't care. It's a waste of government money, so you take your prison. And so they did. And here's what happened in the prison. It's called Humatia in Brazil. And a map up here will show you the location. Here's the first thing they did. You won't believe this. They developed a buddy system. Can you imagine when you're checked into prison? Can you imagine Shawshank Redemption? Hey, we got a buddy system. Okay, got a buddy system. Every new prisoner is given a buddy, and his buddy is an accountability partner who has sold out to Jesus Christ. Number two is they have to regularly attend chapel and a class on character development. Number three, there is a volunteer family for every prisoner who visits them on a regular basis and prays for them on a regular basis. Before every meal, they say the Lord's Prayer. And as time started to go by and more and more men came into this prison and they take the handcuffs off, they do everything they can to restore them. The average rate of prisoners who get out and go back in prison in Brazil is 74%. But when they came out of the prison in Humeda, 4%. 4%. Colson could not believe how clean it was. He couldn't believe the overall attitude and the transformation from the inside out. And one of the prisoners that was giving him a tour said, uh, Sir, in the United States, do they have cells for solitary confinement? And Colson said, yeah, they're terrible places. He said, well, we have one cell here for solitary confinement. Would you like to see it? And Colson said, well, I guess I do. He said, I want you to know that this cell over the years has been used to torture men. And in Brazil, we, we really do torture men. So Colson, as you can only imagine, was pretty nervous. He said he put the key in the, the keyhole, and as he opened the door, he said there was a dim light and a table and a couple chairs, and there were actually flowers on that table. And then he looked up, and there was a huge crucifix with Christ on the cross. And he said, he's the only one that does time for us now, but he's done time for all of us, and it means everything to us. That's transformation from the inside out. That's what we're called to be, transformed from the inside out. Do you believe that Jesus can still do that? I absolutely believe that Jesus can still do that. I believe that the cross of Jesus Christ 
is for every human being that's here today. And if you've never made a decision, you need to know that, that that cross is for you, that he suffered for you. A.W. Tozer said this, the cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits God's wrath to Christ that only the light of his love remains for believers. The cross is the lightning rod of God's grace because every one of us, we deserve to be on the cross and we know that. None of us here is worthy. But because of the cross and what Christ has done for us, it is the ultimate game changer. Let me just close with this and we'll pray. I always wondered whatever happened to him, Simon of Cyrene. I wish there was a whole other chapter just on his life. But here's what all the scholars agree on, is that if you notice in that text, it says Simon of Cyrene, which is important because that tells you how far he traveled, but it also tells you that he is what? The father of who? Look at your text. Alexander and Rufus. Now, fast forward several years, and you get to the book of Romans, chapter 16, and Paul has this long laundry list of people that he's thanking, and he thanks, you know who? Rufus. Now, you don't think that changed his life? You don't think it changed his family's life forever? Absolutely it did. Let me talk to all the men here for just a second. You know the greatest gift you can give your family? You're giving it right now. You showed up. You showed up. You made this a priority. You know how many men, honestly, uh, they just sit around on Sunday mornings and they don't think it's important. That's the wife's job to get the kids. Come on, seriously, grow up. You're here. Thank you that you've made this a priority. That's how much it matters. It's the greatest legacy. For every parent here, you know the greatest thing you can give your kids it's not giving a boatload of money when you die or a new car or a new... Who cares about any of that stuff? But if you can give them Jesus Christ, that is eternal. That's the greatest legacy you could possibly give. I think the moment he looked at the blood on his hands and his life was changed, I think he would have died that day for Jesus Christ. But he let his kids know, let me tell you about the day that I met Jesus. Let me tell you about the day that I carried his cross. Let me tell you about the, the blood that was on my hands. And I want you to be willing to die for him because I will die for him. I believe that was this man. And that needs to be us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we cannot praise you enough for the men and women that are a part of the story as you made your way to the cross. And Lord, as you surrendered everything that you had for everybody that's here, Lord. Uh, we know that you want to transform us from the inside out. Thank you. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for surrendering for us. And so, Lord, I pray it is, as we leave this place that we understand that the greatest gift that we can give, the greatest legacy that we can pass on, is to definitely, and with everything in our being, to desperately love you. Thank you for dying for us. And it's in Jesus' most holy name that I pray. Amen.